Walk in Your Excellence. I'm your host, Sean Larry, and thanks for listening into this week's episode of Walk in Your Excellence. Race and equity, diversity and inclusion, no matter how you frame it or what you call it, we are all impacted by the race politics of America almost every day, especially in the workplace. One of my favorite quotes is, the most dangerous conversations about race are the ones we don't have. Mm. As a black man in America, I am fully aware of who I am, what I represent, and completely grounded in my excellence. However, I know that the majority of our country doesn't always have the same positive perception that I have about my own identity. Sometimes sitting in boardrooms or meetings as the only black man is difficult, but I have been privileged enough to have a strong sense of critical consciousness that allows me to discuss race and equity with comfort in order to move the conversation forward in my line of work. Today's guest is someone who I call on for support and is an expert conversationalist and teacher of race privilege and power. She is an educator in all sense of the word. She is someone who exudes excellence in every way and I'm excited to have her give us some advice on how to achieve a more equitable school system and nation. Jennifer Moore is an educator, entrepreneur, and an agent of change. She started her career in education in 2003 as a New York City public school teacher in the South Bronx. Even as a classroom teacher, she involved her students in the nonprofit work and supported their ability to discuss and address issues of race, privilege, and power in order to produce social change. She has worked for Teach for America and one of her major contributions was the effective restructuring of their teacher development program to prioritize culturally relevant pedagogy. Please join me in welcoming the amazing Jennifer Moore. Hello, hello, hello. How are you, Jennifer? I'm fantastic. I'm so happy to have you here. It's a pleasure just to see you. I haven't seen you in such a long time. I and, know, I know. Um, you are such a brilliant young woman and have so much to offer us, especially um, at a time where our nation needs it, mm. where we really need to be having these conversations. We really need to be radically candid Indeed. about who we are as a nation. But before we get into all of that, I want you to tell us who you are. Who is Jennifer Moore? Oh, that's such a layered question. It is. Um, well, I'll start first with I'm a newlywed. I'm a wife. Congrats. Um, Congrats. My husband and I got married about six months ago, July 21st. Nice. And so that's a new um, role I'm taking on. Yeah. Um, that means I'm also now a new aunt, a mm -hmm. sister. I'm also a daughter, a granddaughter. Um, I'm a CrossFitter as okay. well. I'm okay. pushing my two-year anniver cross anniversary. I'm oh, not my, sure that's a thing? That, I'm not sure. You're I'm making a, it a thing. I'm, right, right now I am. <laughs> Um, I'm also a spiritual being. Mm -hmm. I'm an educator, as you shared. Um, and I'm a seeker and a learner. Mm -hmm. And um, this work that I do, I really feel like it's about seeking and learning and healing. So yeah. those are some of the things that make up who Jennifer Moore is. Nice. Tell me more about the healing piece. Someone mm. actually said that recently to me. And I said, well, what does that mean to be a healer? Talk mm. to me about that. Yeah, I think race equity work is healing work. Mm. Um, I think racism dehumanizes all of us mm -hmm. and hurts all of us, mm -hmm. people of color and white folks alike. Mm -hmm. um, and the ability to engage in these conversations and talk with each other is healing. And I say that from also from my own personal experience, mm -hmm. um, where mm -hmm. engaging and discussing how racism has impacted me, impacted those I love, um, has silenced me, has made me scared, concerned. Mm -hmm. um, the ability to speak on those things and to name it mm -hmm. Child, yeah, and with others who feel you and hear you and connect with you on that spiritual level with it, it's mm. it's healing. Yeah, um, and so that's why I'm very much about helping schools, organizations engage in this conversation so that we can move forward. Yeah, um, in a way that makes us whole. I love it. I love it. Yeah, uh, I um, have all of our guests really talk about like the things that have shaped them. Mm. Um, you know, I've I've had a very unique childhood, and we're going to touch on that a little bit. And I think that also plays into how we view the world and how we view ourselves. What 
what are some of the things or how do you think your childhood has impacted the woman you've become today? Mm-hmm. I mean, I think it's profoundly shaped me. Mm-hmm. Um, I self-identify as a black woman, but I'm also multiracial. Okay. My grandmother on my mother's side is Japanese. Uh, my grandfather and my grandmother met during World War II. Mm-hmm. Uh, my mother is a natural life citizen. She was born in Japan, was there till she was six, till she came to the States. Um, wow. And being a military family, they went back and forth quite often. Mm-hmm. Um, so being in a multiracial family, multicultural family, celebrating Japanese holidays, um, going to festivals, I was very much tapped into that culture. Mm-hmm. Um, in addition to that, I also grew up um, in a predominantly white community. Um, so mm-hmm. I'm from Seattle, Washington originally. And the oh, population wow. in terms of black people, I is like six percent right now makes up the um, demographic and so my family my mother and my father moved from seattle to a very small town called federal way shout out to federal way (laughs) um population like seventy-five thousand, but predominantly white and so being the only family of color on the block being in my elementary school being Mm. one two of three maybe a people of color in my class let alone black people right right right. um going to junior high school and it becoming more diverse in high school and so on becoming more diverse but being the feeling of isolation that you feel when you're the only person of color in a space Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. um or when you're a person of color being the only black person in the space and hearing your intro uh being in my AP English classes mm-hmm. and being the only black person t- reading Toni Morrison's oh Beloved and talking about the trauma of slavery and hearing people snicker, yeah. laugh, belittle the experiences, like it's isolating. So yeah. all those things have impacted like how I walk through the world, experience the world, and how I want to create spaces for schools to talk about the thing that we're gonna talk about today, which is yeah. race and racism. Yeah, yeah, let's jump into it then. So race, I want to get us started there first. Um, growing up, like growing up where I, I did, like marginalized, in the hood, like everyone looked the same, everyone had the same, which was little to nothing or nothing at all. Mm-hmm. Um, and so while my childhood was tough, there are so many things that I value that made me the person uh, who I am today. It also though, like it felt normal, right? Mm-hmm. Like because everything everything around me just was like, it was what it was. Like race wasn't really a thing because people looked like you, you know? Um, it, it wasn't until the latter parts of my teenage years where I was offered the opportunity to go to a prestigious high school that, that was almost all white that I noticed like, oh, this is like a thing and this is a brand new world and like seniors are driving Maseratis to school and Porsches and like you live in actual mansions, not just, you know, mansions I've seen on, you know, Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, right? But there's a whole world that exists and that was my first real experience with race. Mm. When did you become aware? Well, I guess like you already touched a little bit on your Mm. childhood experiences, but when did you really like become super, super woke and aware of race? Um. That's a really good question. So I can talk about a few different experiences mm-hmm. that um, made me aware that I'm other, that I'm different mm. um, from whiteness. Okay. Um, I remember I was like five years old. And um, you know, in elementary school, you gotta fill out the demographic card, right? Yeah. Like your name, mm-hmm. your address, things of like that. And so I wanted to be a big girl and fill it out on my own. And so we get to the racial demographic question. Mm. And I, I was, I didn't understand what the question was asking me. So I, you know, I asked my mother, like, what is this? And um, she said, oh, you ch- you check the mark that says B for black. Um, and I'm like, but I'm not black, I'm brown. Like, look at look at my skin, I'm, wow. I'm brown. And so just this idea of construction of race mm-hmm. at a five-year-old brain was just confusing. Mm-hmm. Um, but then when I think about other experiences, um, hair politics mm-hmm. um, and being the only black girl in my friend group um, and, when folks would talk about like, oh, your hair feels kind of greasy and oily, you know, and I grew up, 
Now, I almost said girl, but you know, like, you know, what I mean, <laughs> right, chilling right, my right. girlfriends, I feel like. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but, you know, blue magic, that blue yeah. magic bottle. Yeah. And like, you know what I mean? To moisturize <laughs> the hair, like, it was a struggle. And I really wanted straight hair after a while. So I did the whole relaxer mm. thing. I mean, you know, just that feeling of like otherness. Um, and so when I think about also, I talked about my high school experience. Mm-hmm. Um, and I remember when a friend of mine, who I'm still trying to find in the world, we lost touch, yeah. but her name was Portia, black girl who walked into my AP 12th grade English class. And Portia, I was like, you might be listening. If you are, holler at me. <laughs> um, but feeling like there's somebody here in my class who can get me, who can fully get me, yeah. right? You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, so I think these just different experiences of being on the outside inside has really constructed who I am and how I think about race and racism, in addition to just the work that I've done since then. But yeah, those are some pivotal moments in my life that, um, yeah, that stick with me. Yeah. Uh, and so like, I believe that you've reached, um, and we're going to talk about some of your accomplishments and in, in your entrepreneurship and that journey. Um, but I'm a firm believer that everyone who has reached a level of excellence or success has really, really weathered the storm, Mm. the natural like ups and downs of life. Um, I am no stranger to them, unfortunately. But what what would you say has been like one of your most challenging life experiences? Personally or professionally? Uh, Let's start with uh, professionally. Mm. Well, being an educator, I have to say my first year of teaching, Mm. um, that shit was mad hard. Yeah, yeah. I taught in the South Bronx and um, I taught class 502, fifth grade in a middle school setting. And there were so many days I thought I was going to quit. Mm. Like my mother still to this day can c- tell you when I've called and said, I don't think I'm I can done. do it anymore. I can't. I probably lost 20 pounds in a span of three months. Oh my gosh. Just not eating stress. Um, but somehow I got through it and I was just determined to show up um, and be the best teacher possible. But I wasn't a good teacher in my first year. Like, mm. I just wasn't. Um, and over that summer, I really reflected on like my teacher actions. And I didn't use that frame, right? right, right but right. I reflected on my teacher actions and, you know, came in my second year with a, just a different focus, um, a renewed belief in thinking about building relationships with students and families. And I just wasn't there as a first year teacher. And mm-hmm. that's what really ch- changed my trajectory within education. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I think first year teaching absolutely was just, whew. Yeah. Hard, yeah, hard as hell. For sure. um, I think the second thing that's hardest is being an entrepreneur mm-hmm. um, and being out the cocoon of a monthly paycheck, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, but yeah. having to hustle for that check, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and to also do good work at the same time mm-hmm. and have integrity about it. Yes, and, that's the biggest um, piece because I'm about social justice, mm-hmm. and so you know, at the same time, like not all money is good money, mm. um, which is hard, right? Because you still got real bills at the end of the day, yep. so. Consulting has definitely been a beautiful challenge, but a challenge nonetheless. Yeah. Um, on the personal front, are we going on the personal front? Oh, we wow, are. we're going there, Sean. Uh, we are. Um, I mean, I think one huge personal challenge for me was a relationship I walked away from mm. um, when I was turning 30. And I'd been in that relationship for almost four years, mm-hmm. thought this was going to be the one, mm-hmm. um, and realized it just wasn't a healthy relationship relationship for me I wasn't showing up showing up as my best self in this relationship and I remember talking to my mother and she was like are you sure you want to do this are you Mm -hmm. sure you want to walk away and once again the social construction of marriage like I'm Mm -hmm. turning 30 like all Mm -hmm. these pressures were like I was feeling but I just wasn't happy you know just wasn't happy and it it was hard to walk away yeah um, because you know like will I find someone you know all these questions come up so I think that's definitely one um and then a little further back is like my parents' separation and divorce mm-hmm. was um, a challenge. 
Um, and growing up, um, mommy and daddy, I love you if you're listening. Um, you know that. Um, but growing up, my parents were together, but I didn't always see them as the happiest couple. Like gotcha. together as a couple, right? They did the best to like put a roof over my head, mm-hmm. give me whatever whatever I wanted, needed. Like you know, even though we came from a, like a middle class, lower income background, mm-hmm. like they made things work. Yeah. They moved mountains for me as their only child. Um, but between my freshman and sophomore years when like the relationship fully crumbled and that was very hard, yeah, very hard. Um, and thankfully, like we got through it as a family, like mm-hmm. um, a lot of tears, a lot, a lot of tears, but you know, we got through it and now they're in a much healthier place. Um, my father's recently remarried and they have, they meaning my mother and father have a really good relationship. Um, but yeah. that was, that was a hard point when I was 19. Gotcha. Well, first, I want to say thank you for sharing that and being so vulnerable. Um, season two of Walking Your Excellence, we're getting real in this season, sharing some really intense stories. So I, I appreciate that. I want to. I see a cycle or I'm hearing a cycle that I want to touch on just a little bit. And this might be really selfish of me because I'm seeking personal advice right Go now. There. But so I, I was engaged. Okay. Um, and walking away was really, really difficult. Mm-hmm. You know, I faced the same things of like, I'm turning 30, like creating a life and financial, like marriage, marriage is beneficial on a lot of different fronts. Absolutely. Of course, to love and be with someone, right? But even just sus- sustainability mm-hmm. and like financial. financial yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and so walking away was really, really difficult. Also, like the stigma of like, what are people going to say? And our lives are now intertwined yes. and it's been years yes. and we only know each other and like feeling this conflicting feeling of like, damn, did I just waste five years of my life? Brother, or, but, but, you know, it's it's hard. But what I'm finding is that even from your past experience of when you were 19 and your parents separated and even your personal um, separation from someone who might have been the one. In both of those situations, your dad remarried. You're, ha- I see it, you're glowing. I see you're happily married. Uh, you guys, the guess you can't see this, but her husband is supporting, hey, uh, supporting her in the studio right now. I was like, you know, I, when he came in, I said, thanks for coming. And he was like, that's my wife, you know. And like, what a what a powerful statement to hear from another black man. And I appreciate that. What do you like? What advice? Like, how did you pull yourself from that last relationship, and then you found happiness? I'm mm-hmm. struggling with like. I'm gonna be single for the rest of my life. No one's gonna, you know, all the things that I know you've related to and so many people are out there listening who also struggle through that. Yeah. Give us a sense of hope. Um, your tribe. Uh, my girlfriends are my everything. Mm. Um, one of my, my maid of honor in particular, um, when I was grappling with walking away, she was so supportive and also shared, Jennifer, I don't see you as a happy woman right now. You know, and she held up that mirror in a way that was so loving. Um, and I knew knew and know still to this day that she has my back ultimately. Um, and so her words of encouragement were helpful. Um, also talking with other girlfriends, but just the tribe of support, I think is number one. Number two, um, I threw a big party afterwards. Mm. I was turning, it happened to be I was turning 30. So right. I'm like, dirty 30, here we come. Right, right, we walk right. into our 30s like, what? <laughs> So I had a party and then also magically at that time, my really good friend Shannon, who was a bridesmaid in my wedding, she was getting married in the beautiful Tuscany Hills. Mm. And so I was like, know what? I'm turning 30. I'm going to travel for three weeks. I'm going to add two extra trips, two extra vacation trips to this. So I was gone for three weeks. So I think self-care. So not all of us can take a trip. Right. And Mm -hmm, I was very financially mm -hmm. blessed to be able to do that. So I think one, your tribe. 
um, to celebrate yourself, whether that's getting a pedicure, a manicure, whatever it takes to love on yourself a little bit, a new do, whatever it is, whatever it looks like for you. And then three, exercising additional self-care, whether it's like Mm. taking a walk, travel, just getting out of your space um, to see the world from a different perspective would be some of the words of advice that if I could go go back and tell my old self mm-hmm. that's what i would say that's awesome thank yeah. you for sharing that um and i'm i'm gonna put that those those thoughts into immediate action today by mm. going to the gym mm, um mm. And, and getting myself a massage so i, I appreciate I know that's that. right um uh, i want to hear a little bit about so you made this transition from being a class or you're still an educator i think once an educator always an educator absolutely and now you're educating in a different sense but you did decide to leave the classroom what where did that decision come from Well, it was around 2008, Mm -hmm. 2009. Obama had just come into office, and I was interested in policy as a potential avenue for me. Felt like there's a lot of, you know, just energy in D.C. Mm -hmm. with the first black Mm -hmm. president. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I was thinking about policy school and um, got accepted into a few different schools and then just had a moment of reflection. I think it was God actually just Mm -hmm. sitting on my heart with, it's great that you've been in one school for about five years in one borough, district, city, et cetera, but that's one set of experiences. Mm -hmm. And so I started to think about coaching as another avenue to gain more experience so I can be a better policy advisor um, to whoever. And so I thought about coaching, applied to Teach for America um, to join staff, and ended up in Newark, New Jersey with the uh, Teach for America New Jersey team um, as a coach. Um, So yeah, that's kind of my like avenue out of the classroom. Mm -hmm. Um, And then learning that just policy advisement was just too far away from the classroom, was just too macro for me. I wanted to be closer, so coaching felt like a really good fit for me. Yeah. Um, And I loved my team and it worked. Awesome, awesome. And now let's talk about what you mentioned is like a a, a challenge, but like a a beneficial one, definitely. And I, I, I want to hear a little bit about your business and you are, in my opinion, a successful entrepreneur. Thank you. And there are so many people who are battling with like this internal conflict uh, of like, do I stay at my job, Mm -hmm. right? And be semi happy or not happy at all? Or Mm -hmm. do I like take a leap of faith and start my own thing, do my own thing? Mm -hmm. I think especially with the millennials are showing us that like entrepreneurship is like the way. Mm -hmm. Um, And And so many economy, yeah. Yeah. And it's, and in the, the, yeah, this economy is saying that, right? And so, you know, I have Cornell graduates, a lot of my friends who are Ivy League educated, who are brilliant, who have master's degrees, who are struggling, Mm -hmm. you know, making 40 40 grand Mm. like trying to keep their head above water um and i struggled with this personally of like do i leave what i love which is standing in front of black and brown kids and being Mm. a beacon of hope as a black man in power um or do i really follow my passions of like Mm. starting my my own podcast or Mm. starting my own tv show or like going back to dancing or going back to broadway and what were some of your thought, like your hesitancy in making that leap of faith? Mm. One, uh, how did you work through it? Two, and then I want to hear about your amazing company. Yeah. Um, well, I didn't land on consulting as the, my next step right away. Mm. It was actually a process for me. Okay. And so um, I'd been at my job, Teach for America, New Jersey. Hey, team, love y'all if y'all <laughs> listening. Um, because once you're a TFA New Jersey staff member, you're always a staff member. (laughs) Family is always family, right? Um, So I was at a point in my career where I was just wanting a different challenge. Like I love the work that we did and were doing. I love my team. I felt really blessed to wake up and just really enjoy the people I worked with every day, knowing not everyone has that type of experience. Mm -hmm. Um, And I was also just tired, you know, just recognizing I am just tired. Mm -hmm. 
And um, I wasn't sure if I had it in me to continue at um, the pace I was going. Um, and so I shared this information with my executive, my executive director um, who had just come on. I was just like, hey, I'm, I'm just tired. And so I want to make sure that whatever I do, I set your team up for success. So I wanted to give her as much information or give her as much um, uh, time to find a replacement as possible, right? Because um, relationships are important to me. Mm -hmm. um, and so I got to a space where I was just like, yep, transitioning off the team is the best step for me right now. And so I went through the process of like working on my resume, thinking about other ed nonprofits, and that still just wasn't feeling right. And then I started to connect with other dope black women mm -hmm. who, some who had left um, Teach for America to start their own consulting things. Other folks who were doing consulting on the side in addition to their normal job. And mm -hmm. it just started to seem like, could this be a path for me? Um, and so eventually got a contract. Um, didn't have an LLC, didn't have a name. So I'm like, I need to figure yeah, out all yeah. these other like business side pieces, uh -huh. right? So it was actually just a combination of beautiful events. And at the same time, I think it's also because of the work I'd put in. Mm. And so the contract that I had had stemmed from some work I'd been doing with that school network pri prior to. Mm -hmm. um, and so thinking about cultural pedagogy as a framework for Teach for America core members, some school leaders reached out, started doing some PD. So there was already some traction mm -hmm. there. Mm -hmm. So like I say, it wasn't just oh, by happenstance, but just the past work. So I'm thinking about the earlier question you had about millennials, what, mm -hmm. what should they do? Do a good job now. Relationships are everything, Yeah, everything, yeah. you know? And mm -hmm. like the impression you leave on people, mm -hmm. how you treat people, you just never know, never right? Know. You know what I mean? And so it was important to me, I hope I did this as a manager, folks give me feedback if I didn't, <laughs> but you know what I mean? To treat people with love, you yeah. know what I mean? And respect yeah. and be honest. Um, and tell the truth in love, but mm -hmm. love people, care about people. And so yeah. I think that allowed me to leave in the way that I did, to start the business in the way that I did, to develop relationships with folks like you in the mm -hmm. way that I did, just mm -hmm. because of the way that I lead with my spirit and yeah. my integrity. Yeah, I love it. I love it. And what, you, what you're saying makes me think of Kim Scott's uh, book, Radical Candor, where on the axis, it's like care personally, uh, but care enough about the person to like actually challenge them directly. Absolutely. And that's, you know, I'm reading of, that book right now, yeah, by the way. Yeah, it's awesome. Mm -hmm. It is awesome. Awesome. It really guides how I have conversations, um, you know, as a, a principal of 117 staff members. I have to mm. be radically candid and mm. I cannot hide. Uh, I, I mean, my, I think my, my grandmother actually could have written this book, mm. uh, Radical Candor, because we grew up in Radical Candor mm. before we knew what it was. Grannies, <laughs> yes, yes. Family so, will give you the truth. I'm telling you. Um, I want to hear, I, I think there are so many people and you have this conversation so comfortably and you're the expert in it. So please share with us. Um, how do how do you get people to talk about race? Mm. Like, where do you start? It's so awkward for so many people. Yeah. Um, and I'm not just not just just white folk, right? Mm -hmm. uh, because I've been in I've been in many TFA sessions back when I was a core member, and I'm so thankful because it's changed so much. But even as an adult, where or in affinity groups, where it's like we're now aggressive and mm. angry and like mm. with no action. And so I think that uh, both white, black and indifferent, they mm. need to hear mm. how do we actually effectively go about having these conversations mm. about race in order to move the nation forward? Mm. I think that's such a great question. And um, the place I always start is a place of story, mm. telling your story, your experiences. Um, and I have a set of questions that help people to um, curate that story and mm -hmm. understand their experiences. 
Um, but there's something about hearing someone's story, hearing the humanity of someone that breaks down some of that wall, right? Mm. To create space for, wow, we have gone through some really different things, but there are also some assumptions I had about you just by looking at you. Mm -hmm. And I think about that through the lens of feedback I get when I lead sessions around story and telling your personal racial autobiography, mm -hmm. when you realize you were racialized. Mm. Um, and um, the experience that surround that. And um, I recall in particular, one um, participant shared, you know what, I was really resistant to the storytelling thing. Um, and I realized um, I had a lot of baggage and how people receive me. And I already have assumptions about how people receive me. And I, I did not realize until now the assumptions I have about other people mm. and how I receive them. Um, I've been in sessions where people are crying um, as they're sharing their stories and processing things that they haven't talked about in a long time that are very traumatizing. Mm -hmm. um, this is for white folks and for people of color too, mm -hmm. right? So mm -hmm. I think that's the starting place of like, how do we bring the humanity back? And not just be like, you're this, you're that, you're the third, but mm -hmm. like storytelling. Um, and one of my favorite authors and researchers, Brene Brown, mm -hmm. talks about the power of storytelling. And yeah. um, I firmly believe in that. And then from there, you can dig deeper into the work, but yeah. story is the best way to get the conversation going i love it i love it and that's why i'm so happy happy to have like started this this uh podcast because i think there's so much power in everyone's story and mm. everyone's unique journey and people need to hear it yeah. um what do you think about the phrase and this is like a i wouldn't say new but it's a, a new thing that has been coming up in a lot of sitcoms and conversations about race reverse racism what are your thoughts on it it's not a thing. <laughs> <laughs> I knew she was going to say that. It's not a thing. And how you define racism, right? And I think the problem is people think it's a thing if you if we have all 20 million different definitions of what racism is. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, it, it's, not it's not a, not thing. a thing. It's not a thing. You and heard so, that world. Stop making it a thing. I mean, I can explain why I don't think it's a thing. Yes, tell us. Um, well, let me first by sharing what, how I define racism. So I define racism, and this comes from Dr. Bradley Tatum's work, Why Are the Black Kids Kisses Sitting Together in the Cafeteria? cafeteria. Mm -hmm. Check it out if you haven't. Um, but she defines racism, which resonates with me and my work, um, around the systematic privileging of white people over people of color. Mm -hmm. um, and if we think about racism as a system of privilege, right, then it's just like, well, the system of privilege that's built in means like people of color can't be racist. People of color can be discriminatory. Mm. They can have pre prejudice, but racism is privilege plus power, right? Yeah. Um, and if you don't have cultural, social, political, institutional power, you can't demonstrate racism, right? Mm -hmm. You can't demonstrate that prejudice because you don't have that power coupled with it. Yeah. Um, I know we'll probably get some feedback around that, and that's totally mm -hmm. fine. I, I don't have, everyone doesn't have to agree with my definition, right? For sure. But if we're gonna have a real conversation, we need to at least talk about where we're coming from when we say racism. Mm -hmm. And so when I hear reverse racism, what I'm hearing is someone is getting this unfair advantage mm -hmm. over me. That's what I hear mm -hmm. um, if someone white is saying, this is reverse racism. I'm used to being privileged. The underlying text is I'm used to being privileged. I'm used to having all this opportunity thinking the world's my oyster. Now I don't see that. And now I'm gonna cry foul and that's not fair. Yeah. Um, and that could be a real feeling that you're feeling, but let's unpack that. And so the work I do helps to that makes sense. unpack that a little that bit more. That makes total sense. Tell us um, how you walk in your excellence every day. Ooh, child. <laughs> um, it's hard. Yeah. I will, um, in the spirit of continuing to be vulnerable, yeah. this week was a challenging week for me. Mm. Like my energy levels just wasn't there. Mm. Um, and thankfully I have a really supportive husband and tribe who I talked to on Monday of this past week of just like, 
I'm just not feeling good in the work. Mm. I feel like, you know, am I doing well? You know, just all these questions of um, were coming to mind and people just building me up. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, So I walk in my excellence by surrounding myself myself with folks who love me, Mm -hmm. who care about me, who pour into me. Um, because racial equity work is all about pouring out. Yeah. You know, yeah. and so it can be emotionally, physically, spiritually draining. Um, in addition to that, I recognize that I'm not perfect. I'm a recovering perfectionist. Mm-hmm. You know, and so I can only do the best of, I can only do my work to the best of my ability. And if my energy is low, I have to recognize that and honor that and not try to make myself what I'm not. Yeah. Um, that also means that I take care of my physical health. Like I said, I'm a CrossFitter. I've set some goals this year around nice. back squatting and deadlifting. Shout out to my coach nice. um, who's helping me get my life together. But that's <laughs> also important to me because mm-hmm. um, if I'm not physically strong, how can I carry on, right? And yeah. also just my spiritual health and um, really working on meditation. And that's a work in progress right there. But meditating and just being silent and being still. Um, so, yeah, these are some of the ways that help me to walk in my excellence and recognizing that each day it's not about perfection, mm-hmm. but about being the best version of myself and recognizing tomorrow's another day to, to do it better. Wow. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah. And where can we find you, Jennifer? Oh, well, you can find me. Um, here's my website. The name of my company is called Initiate Equity. And you can find me at www.initiate-equity.com. That's I-N-I-T-I-A-T-E hyphen equity. Com. I'm also on LinkedIn, just as Jennifer Moore. Um, yeah, that's where you can find me. I'm working on the other social media handles. I'm on yeah. Instagram a little bit. <laughs> and others, I, it, I'm, I'm, I still see myself as an analog girl in a digital world. So yeah. social media is not my strength, but LinkedIn, it. website, best ways to holler at me. Yeah, I love it. Well, thank you for sharing that. And thank you, Jennifer, for coming. I know you had a rough week, and I'm hoping that this is the, the end of that rough, rough week and the start of an amazing week, an amazing month. Thank so. you so much, Sean. It's been such a pleasure just to rock with you and talk yeah. with you. And thank you for the work that you do and giving folks a platform to share their excellence and to yeah. help build a community of folks to, to walk in that. So thank yeah. you. I appreciate it. Jennifer Moore, the educator, the activist, the consultant, the race and equity expert, uh, the newlywed. Thanks for listening, folks. This is your host, Sean Larry. And until next episode, define who you are, follow your passion, speak your truth, be unapologetically you, and always remember to walk in your excellence. Walk in Your Excellence is recorded at Necessary Studios in New York City. Produced by myself, Maya, and Nikki. Follow us on Instagram at NEC Studios. I'm your host, Sean Larry. You can find me on Instagram at Formula22, at Walk in Your Excellence. Tag the hashtag Walk in Your Excellence and visit my website, www.seanlarry.com. That's S-E-A-N-L-A-R-R-Y. Define who you are, follow your passion, speak your truth, be unapologetically you, and always remember to walk in your excellence. Excellence.